So I was getting ready and um, for, for the night. We're talking about legacy, and, and, and you know, he said, uh, Pastor Steve's uh, one of you know, his messages, you know, and I go, wow, that's, that's like impossible. Um, so the best I could do is share with you what I grabbed uh, being under Pastor Steve for, for 11 years. So his assistant pastor, I remember when he asked me to be his assistant pastor of the trip, we were in Union City at, um, there on Whipple Road. And, you know, I was just like crazy for Jesus. I didn't, I didn't care. I was just crazy. I was, I was kind of, you know, when I first came in, and he tolerated you, you know, he tolerated me. Because I wasn't like really, I was saved. I knew God had a chance for me, but I still had that, you know, you know, you have that bad, you're just who you are. And I remember one time, I was like brand new, uh, not even a year in the Lord, and somebody started disrespecting Pastor Steve, right? And I, me and we were sitting in the front row. I was sitting that side, and I go, Debbie, is that, is that guy, like, disrespecting Pastor Steve? She goes, I know. He, don't, he shouldn't be doing that. I go, okay. And he did it again. I thought, oh, that's it. I got up. I went to him, and I, I grabbed him. I go, you, me, you, right now, outside, right now. And I'm looking. I go, I'm trying to be like, because you're a punk. Right now, let's go. So we, we walk out the back. And I'm, my wife knows I'm mad. I go, this guy, you disrespect my pastor. Are you crazy? I'm saved. I'll, I'll, I'll beat him up and pray for healing later. I mean, I was like really mad. And so we're walking. I'll never forget. I'm walking out the door. And then somebody grabbed me by the collar. Gene Perez. Remember me and Gene, the dancing, right? Gene Perez. I'm walking out the door. And he grabbed me by the collar. And he threw me in a closet. And he closed the door. I go, what? Right? And then Gene comes in. Albert, what? But you, you see that guy? He goes, yeah, but we don't do that no more. I mean, you can't do that in church? No. Oh, okay. I didn't know all the church thing. I knew that God changed me. I was going to do this in the love of the Lord. And, and got, Pastor Steve got wind. And he pulled me aside and told me we didn't do that. And I didn't learn the first time. I can't share this one, but we had an experience. I mean, I'll tell you. In San Jose, but I, no, I don't want to. I want to share that one. That's not good. My wife said, "Don't do that one." I'm the, I'm the last remaining. You got to understand. And this is not a. This is a kind of a good thing and kind of a bad thing. I'm I'm like the OG. I'm the oldest remaining minister. Oh, that came out of Pastor Steve. I'm the I'm the oldest. I'm I'm, I'm the viejo. Amen. So I want to talk about God's will and how I found God's will. And everything that, that try, I'll try to share throughout the message how a uh, pastor will, will do things to me. You know, I look back, he, he, he was intentional. He didn't do anything by, my, by, um, by mistake. His, his, his jokes were timely. His, his, everything he did was not like, it almost seemed like it was very, very um, fluid and, and off the cuff. Nothing Pastor Steve was off the cuff. He, he was very strategic when he, when he did it. Amen? He knew what he was doing, so he messed me up. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. And I want to talk about living in the overflow of God's will. Because that, that's what, what Pastor um, always emphasized, God's will. You have Mark chapter 2 verse 13. And he went out again by the seashore and all the people were coming to him. And he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed 
him. Lord, we thank you for this night, for this day, for this time that we could come and, and share your word. Lord, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would move and, and touch every heart, every mind, because you are God's agent here on this earth. As we lift up Jesus, who now sits at the right hand, Holy Spirit, you touch the mind, you touch the heart, you move up into the aisles, you cause us to move in signs and wonders. And I pray that that would happen tonight. Even now, I, I pray for healings, Lord, for, 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 for livers, for knees, for headaches, God, that they would be removed. Even as I'm speaking, you begin to touch people. And I thank you in advance, in advance, in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. and amen. When, when you're talking about God's will, when I look at it, God's will is much like a rushing river. Now, a river at high tide can change at a moment's notice. It can actually alter its path. And especially at flood stage, a river never goes back to its original borders. The borders from that moment on always change. And that's how God is. He'll flood your life and change your borders. The most profound word to me in relation to God's will is, and, and in that river, it's suddenly, it's like a flash flood. We don't have them very often in California, but in Colorado, when you, when you have a flash flood warning and you see water, you better not go in it. We hear all the time people dying, getting, getting taken away by, the, by a flash flood, and, and it's, it's, it's incredible that how it happens. And that's how God moves. He moves, he doesn't just, well, it's like gradual getting to the place, but when it's time for him to move, it's rapid. It's like, bam, suddenly. Doing God's will is much harder. Now listen, I've learned this. It's much harder than understanding his will. Because, you know, humans, we're, we're, we're smart people. We have that ability to understand and reason. We, we have faculties that bring in information and get an understanding. And we can say, I understand God's will. But when you have to do it, all the understanding goes right out the door. Doing his will means basically, if you boil it down, submitting our will. And this is the troublemaker. God's will is not that difficult. We're the troublemaker. There's, there's so much to understand, much to discover, and so many difficulties we will face when it comes to God's will. That's the number one question people come to me. What's God's will for my life? And, I, and I'm a pastor. I try to, you know, reason and give them scriptures. But in my mind, I'm saying, I want to ask you that question. You know, I, can I ask you? But you can't do that because you're the pastor. You're supposed to know the answer. <laughs> right? See, the life of faith means we must look at life with God's perspective. Because we, we are used to a world that we can see, touch, and often control. We, we like this world that we can touch, that we can control, that, that we can really understand. But God's will, just throw all that out the door because what will happen, you'll operate in God's will like a church and you can touch and control and do these things. But when it comes down to it, you have no control. You, you, it's not you. And, and it's the way we look. And when we live that life of faith, we have to look from God's eyes because there's two, there's two ways to look at life or the world. Look horizontally across the horizon, right? Or vertically, up and down. And it's the vertical perspective that is difficult for us because we like looking ahead and planning, five-year plan, 
10-year plan. You know, we plan our, well, when my child gets married and, 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 you know, like my daughter's getting married. And, and I said, you know, I, 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 Eddie, who's this guy, Ray? He goes, oh, he's a good guy. I go, Eddie, call that guy up and tell him this. What, what, what? Don't make me go down there and kill him. I was like, what? I go, tell him that. Don't make me go down there and kill him. Amen. Because I didn't know who Ray was. Ray, I don't know Ray. Sting Ray, Manor Ray, I don't know, but you never know what's going to happen. Amen? But it's a vertical perspective, that, that perspective from heaven down that, that is difficult for us. See, I want to look at living in the overflow of God's will, but you have to understand, even though I'm going to share something, don't think that you understand it, because when the pain comes and the things hit you that weren't a part of the plan, I was sitting in the hospital in intensive care. I come out of intensive care. I was on a golf course. I'm not much of a golfer. I still don't like that game, but I was doing pretty good that day. And I got sick. Next thing I know, I'm in intensive care, and I come to, and I hear the, the surgeon going, he's got an 80% chance of dying. And I'm saying, man, I think they think I'm still asleep. I go, hello, I can hear you. They're all, oh, and they look at me like, oh, oh. Right, and I said, Wow. So he leaves, and, I'm, and there's other, you know, people that were in operation. And I go, God, is this it? This is how I'm going to die? The doctor just said I'm going to die. You know, when you hear a doctor say 80% chance of living, it's not a good day. And I go, wait a minute, God. And then I, I started sitting there and thinking. I go, wait a minute. You, you told me, and you had certain promises that you gave me, that I thought you were, were that was your will for me. So you mean either there's one, two things, and this is, we'll talk about purpose and God's will. So there are two things. Either I was really stupid and I fell for it for a lie. Or you're a liar. I mean, I told him that. Or you're a liar. Because those promises, according to what I was confident that was your will, have not happened. And that's what I said. Right? Why? Because I didn't get it. I'm gonna, the doctor said, you're going to die. Well, I'll, I'll share more about that later. But as you can tell, I'm not dead. And I start off with this. You've got to understand this. I am fully confident that it was my purpose that refused to let me die. It's because God had given me a purpose. It was my guarantee that I couldn't die. So when devil, the devil tried to say, you're going to die, I said, no, wait a minute, devil. I have a promise. I have been seeking God's will all since, since 1985, July 21st, 1985. I had a promise. That promise was preached to me, not only from Pastor Sonny, but Pastor Steve would talk to me on the hours about what we were going to do, what was going to take place. And you mean to tell me that that was a lie? I don't think so, right? I have a promise. And that promise pulled me out of my deathbed. I refused. To, to let it happen. Now, submitting to the overflow of God's will is a different thing. And I'm, I, I want, to under, want you to understand this. Listen, your life may depend upon you submitting to God's will. I know mine did. So we have to bow to God's decree will, decreed will. We have to realize that we cannot know God's plan in advance first. Don't try to figure it out. And everything that happens to us, even the smallest detail, is a part of his plan. Everything. 
When I was there, liver failure, bowel failure, kidney failure, my lungs swelled up. I went from 230 pounds to 139 pounds in 40 days. I was done in man's eye. And then I had then then uh, I had a dream on the third day. It always you know God's a trip. I was in the hospital 40 days, but on the third day I had a dream. Because you know when you're gonna die, you know what they do to you? They help you die. They put they put um they put a, um morphine right. They tie you up. I'm from Dakota. Hey, all right. Oh, no, you know what I mean? No, no, no. You know we do it there, all right? <laughs> So for the first two days, I was like, they said, you're in pain. I go, no, I ain't no pain. But then I began to realize on the third day I had a dream. And, the, and, and what came to me was the Lord said to me that you're not going to die. And it was very clear. The God of David is going to heal you. So I said, wow. I go, is there Jesus in the house? And I asked, God, you're messing with my, my theology right now. Doesn't, isn't Jesus going to heal me? And the Lord said, no, the God of David is going to heal you. I said, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. I don't care who, at that time, you don't care who heals you. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ronald McDonald, if it'll work, I don't care. I want somebody to heal me. <laughs> Amen. You know? I said, I'm cool. I'm cool. So I get up in the morning. I'm excited, right? I'm excited because, man, this is good stuff. Doctor comes in. We have to take you up to the fourth floor because you need dialysis. I said, no, 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 excuse me, but uh, you don't have to take me to the fourth floor. I, I was arguing with my doctor. Why? Well, why? Because I told him the God of David is going to heal me. I had a dream last night. Oh, oh, by the way, you have to do this. You have to stick your needle right here and drain the poison. Well, the doctor thought I had too much morphine. <laughs> but I had stopped the morphine on the, th- I said, nope. I told the nurse, get this morphine out of here. She goes, I can't disconnect you. I go, get over there. He goes, I can't disconnect you. I need a doctor. I was arguing with her. I go, well, just take the button and put it over there. I kind of, you know, I'll be tempted. You know what I mean? They said, they said every 10 minutes, get every 10 minutes. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, you don't wait 10 minutes. And so I get the button over there. So they pull it away. So I, I got off of morphine. And she goes, aren't you in pain? I'm not in pain. I'm not, I'm, the God of David is going to heal me. So the doctor comes in. I tell him the God of David is going to heal me. He goes, I don't care who's going to heal you. You got to go to the fourth floor. No, I don't. I was arguing with him. I go, I'm, I don't have to go to the fourth floor, but you have to stick a needle. I kept telling him, drain the poison out. He looks at me, I go, okay, you know, but you know, you do look better. You're talking better. I go, I tell you, I'm going to get healed. If God told you you were going to get healed, you feel better too. So he, so he's, take his, he tell him, take his vitals, take the guy's vitals. So they take my vitals, take all the blood and they go. But in the meantime, he, he took off. Nurses come in, said, they're getting me ready to roll me to the fourth floor. So I'm arguing with the nurse. You don't have to take me. I already told you, the God of David is going to heal me. I'm arguing with the nurses. She goes, I don't care who's got to heal you. I got a job. I got to take you to the fourth floor. So she gets behind the, behind the bed, starts rolling me out, and the back wheels of my bed fall off. Woo, hallelujah. So she screamed. This is that Penrose. Hey, Penrose is a good hospital. I love that hospital. It's my hospital, right? We're homeboys. But anyway, so they pull me out, the wheels fall off, and she starts, oh, my God, the wheels are falling off. And I'm going to get excited because when you know God tells you to go, you're going to live and then you see manifestation, things happening, you're going to be like, yeah, something's happening now, Right? So in comes another nurse, and the nurse says, what's going on? She goes, I don't know, but I pushed his bed. The wheels fell off. And I told him the same story. The God of David is going to heal me. I started, you know, preaching. I'm getting down now. Speaking in tongues. Right? She comes in, right? She grabs the front of the bed to, to move it, right? And the back wheels fall off. Bam! And now, now I have one girl in the front, one girl in the back, holding the bed, screaming, in come two orderlies. What's going on? I tell them the same thing. They want to move me to the fourth floor. I told them don't move me to the fourth floor because the God of David is going to heal me. 
now they're all looking at me like, now they're starting to believe. She goes, Mr. Loma, they got all sorry. We're so sorry. But we, we, don't have, we have to move you. I said, okay. So they moved me to another bed and rolled me to the fourth floor. My wife's on the fourth floor waiting for me. She's kind of like going through it. My poor wife, she went through a lot. She had to go. I didn't know during that time she had to get admitted to the hospital because she was going through, you know, stress and all that stuff. So I tell her the story that I just told you. And she looked, maybe she thought I was a morphing. I don't know. But she looked at me. But right when I'm telling her this, there's a, there's a valance, a, uh, you know, a valance like a, a curtain, but a real beautiful, you know, this is a nice hospital, real made out of wood, plywood, heavy valance. So I'm telling her the story. I'm laying down on the bed. She's standing next to the bed. The window's on this side and the valance up there. About halfway through the story, the valance off the window falls off the window and hits my wife, knocks her to the ground. And I'm going, now I'm getting really excited because downstairs God was manifesting, but up on the fourth floor, the devil started to manifest. So she falls to the floor. I go, oh, my God, and run the nurse. What happened? What happened? I go, that thing just fell. I'm knocking her. You know, she had a big old knot on her shoulder. I go, look at her. You got to check her out. And the nurse goes, I can't. I go, what do you mean you can't? It's the hospital. She goes, she has to go downstairs to the emergency. I go, are you kidding me? And she goes, no, I'm sorry, sir. So she, she goes, I'm not leaving. So she didn't leave. She stood with me, had a lump on her shoulder. Got back up. They moved the valance out of the way. I'm kind of excited. In walks the doctor. He goes, how'd you know? How'd I know what? Well, everything's turned on. I go, what do you mean everything's turned on? Well, your, your, your bowels are working. Your, your kidneys are back on. Your liver's back on. He starts, everything that was turned off is back on. He goes, and we found the problem. I go, you did find the problem. What's the problem? He goes, well, you have a pseudocyst. I go, I have a pseudocyst. No, Pseudocyst, get pseudocyst, talk English, right? I go, what is that? He goes, well, you have a, a, a cyst, like a blister on the outside of your pancreas, and, and that's what is causing the problem. Some kind of particle went up the wrong way and caused uh, your, your pancreas to go up, and we think the pseudocyst was, was a reaction to it. So what's a pseudocyst? It's a blister, okay? So what we have to do is stick a needle in your side and drain the blood out of the cyst, the pus. I had that bag for four months, draining the blood, I mean the, blood, the pus. No, the first one was a sack of blood, like a liter of ugly stuff. Like, you know, like the world's ugliest pimple. Well, this was uglier, amen? And it, and it just, it drained. And you go, how do you know? And I told her, Doc, I told you the God of David is going to heal me. Now, I had to go through a healing process. It took it three years to heal. Uh, I have, I've had four major surgeries in the last three years. The last one was June 4th. Of last year. And I, but, but that's another story. I'll just stop right here. But see, it, it took all that. Why? And I say all this to say this. The reason I wasn't going to die is because I had understood one thing, that I have a purpose in God's will. I have a plan. There is an overflow portion of my life that hasn't taken place with. with so death, you have no sting. So the, the doctor, doctor looked at me. I tell him the story, then, I, then he leaves, and I go, God, why do you keep telling me to tell this doc, the king of, uh, the God of David? Aren't I supposed to lift up Jesus and all draw on I'm having a debate with God now. And all of a sudden, I talk to the doctor, and I find out that my doctor is a Jew. Come on, give the Lord a hand right there. He's Jewish, 
And he was supposed to cut me loose because they thought it was an infection. It wasn't an infection. It was a pancreas, so they turned me into a gastrointestinal guy. But he refused. He goes, you have an infection. That's, there's something happening. He was supposed to leave me go, but he stood to me the entire time that I had that drain. He would call me on weekends and tell me, you know what, I think you need to go down and get this medicine. I go, well, how do you know? I've been looking at your paperwork and your, all this stuff. Go here, go here. I already called him the, the, the prescription, but I ain't got no money. Don't worry about the money. Just go get it. I mean, the Lord took care of me. You know, people, I, I always worry about my, um, what do you call it? Insurance. I had no insurance. My bill was $320,000. What, what, $320,000. $320,000. And I didn't have, oh, well, I had to pay about what, 6000 of it, something like that? Not much. Amen? But it was God's, I, I'm confident that because I accepted God's will for my life, that even though the devil attacked me, Nikki goes, Albert, because the, the, first, the first day I was there, Nikki visited me, and when I got out, he came to my house. He goes, Albert, do you think the devil could attack you like that? And I go, yes, he could. He goes, he goes, that's exactly what happened. The devil, the devil had a plan to kill me. And I believe that if I had not have submitted my will to God's will, that I'd be dead right now. See, God has a decreed will. It's a declaration, it's an order, it's a verdict, it's a ruling. When God makes a decreed will, you can't change a ruling. Anybody ever been in court and had a verdict? Once the verdict is read, what happens? That's it. They can, there's no pretty please with a cherry on top. Can you change your mind? It's done. There's a declaration. There's a verdict. And when you follow God's decreed will, there is an order. Huh? There is a ruling declaration of independence. You are ever, you are ordered to, to do what you're called to do. There's a verdict standing, and there's a judge in heaven that says, the verdict is this, you shall live. There's a ruling. An umpire says, oh, that may look like a strike, but you, you got another swing at the bat. Hmm? See, following God's will, listen, don't think, well, I'll follow God's will if I think. Well, you, you, you play with your life like that. Huh? Because it could just move on by. You have an opportunity. Everything's an opportunity. It's like a, like a sine wave. You know what a sine wave is? If you've got an F in sine, you know what a sine wave, you know what a sine wave hurts. They go like, ooh, right? God's will is a moment in time for every life. You have an opportunity to do his will. There's no guarantee that that door is going to open for you again if you don't jump on it when it hits you. I know many people that should have been sent out from this church that didn't hit the door when they should have. And then what happens? Because they miss God's will. All of a sudden, church is not as exciting as it. I'm not getting fed. Oh, Pastor Steve didn't smile at me. Josie's so mean. Oh, they got all these excuses looking for whatever they can look for because they missed their opportunity, and now they have to justify their own head trips. It's missing God's will. It's a, it's a, it's a moment in time. Amen? See, Isaiah 45, 5 reads, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you. Though you have not known me, then men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. Verse 7, the one forming light, 
creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. Woo! Causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So there's a time in all of our lives that we need a little bit of calamity in our lives. David would say, I thank God for my affliction because during my affliction, I looked up to heaven. Hmm? So we lack the perspective to understand why God does what he does. This is why we argue with him. Hello. When he shows us a little bit of his plan, when he tells us what, he, what to do. And the problem with God, I can say this because he understands what I mean. The problem with God is he doesn't speak to us. Albert. No. God uses somebody like Pastor Steve. You know, I mean, when I came to the Lord, I was like, are you kidding me? Because Pastor Steve was, I know, I had OD nine times and whoop de whoop de God. Like, oh, no. Oh, man. Man, another dope fiend. I got kind of another Dakota. That's my first thought. And now I got to listen to him? Are oh, you, God, come on, God. Hello, somebody. And he would say that, and all of a sudden, God would speak to me through Pastor Steve. Open, we need somebody to open up the house to create a reentry. And I'm looking around like, he's not, no, he's not talking to me. He's not, David, he's talking to me. Next thing they I open the reentry home. So I, every time, you know, Pastor Steve's going to preach, I go, here he goes again. Because <laughs> I know he's going to say something, and I'm going to have to do it. That's how God spoke to me. Amen? So that's what hards us. But when we, when we, when, can I say like, when will we allow God to lead? That's, that's the question. Is it, is it, it is his right to shape our lives as he chooses, is it not? When we release our, when we release our life to God, then we will be comfortable living in the overflow. Because listen, the overflow, see, it sounds nice, huh, overflow. But let me leave you another word, okay? The flood. Remember I said the flash flood, the rush, rushing river? I, one of these days when you have a, a rope and a, and a life vest tied to a tree, jump in a rushing river and see how comfortable you are. See how nice a flood is. Singing in the bathtub. No, it's a flood. So it's not, it's not a comfortable situation. And we think following God to be comfortable. Listen, following God is not comfortable. Jesus said, hey, you can come with me, but I don't have nowhere to sleep. I, don't, I can't even go to the Motel 6. I don't got nothing. I don't even got a rock. But that's, that can't be God's will. Kenneth Copeland, I could be blessed and have Cadillacs. Listen, I'm not Kenneth Copeland. Huh? There's some very important aspect to his will. It's absolute. It's unchangeable. It's unconditional. Works, works in perfect harmony with his nature. It's always good and right. It will be strategic in accomplishing his purpose, not your purpose, and will morally reflect his character. So when he asks you to do something, that's God's will. And if Alana lies up to that, you better jump in, Jack, and stop, quit trying to make excuses why you can't. I'm too busy. I got to check my field. Let me bury my grandpa. Let me bury my mom. What, what did Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. Huh? That's what we're called to do. Sounds good when they're reaching the lost. No matter what the cost, cruising down the boulevard, a mission boulevard, victory outreach. No, wait a minute. Reaching the lost, sell everything you have, pay a price. 
Victory outreach. Be faithful in your giving. Give everything you got. Victory outreach. Now everybody says, hey, change the channel. Caleb, 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 Kumbaya. See, as you look to your past, good and bad, you'll see a perfect trail of God's decreed will. If you're a Christian, everything that came to you was made for you. I don't care what, how, how bad it is. And there's some bad things that happened to us. Hello? But every bad thing, every good thing was needed in your life to get you here tonight. Everything. See, God has a plan. No one can stop it and no one can surprise him. Huh? What about the bad thing? Is it, is it inconsistent with his holiness? Of course not. <laughs> when I got, the, the month I got sick, sick August 20th, 9, uh, 2010, that, those months before, I was doing a study on Job. After I got out of the hospital, my wife says, don't ever teach on Job again. Huh? Job, man, he was so holy and righteous. He would tithe for his kids. He tied up extra kids. He would tithe on the sins that he thought he didn't even know he thought. And just in case my kids did something, hit another one. I mean, he wanted to cover all bases. But still, calamity hit him. It was a part of his holiness. Hmm? See, some things he just allowed to happen. Job 1, 2, then the Lord said to Satan, stand the man, big red. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand to him. Oh, Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. The devil was in the presence of the Lord. Everything is in your hand. And I look at that. And I read that. And I remember that when I was laying in the bed. Saying, God, what are you doing to me? Are you going to serve me? You know the only thing I regretted? Laying in that bed? I love my kids. We had a new grandbaby. I love my grandma. I love my wife. And my wife understands what, I'm, what I mean when I say this, but I wasn't thinking about them. All I was thinking about is, God, I didn't do enough for you. I'm so sorry. I didn't do enough. See, there is an, uh, another aspect of his will, the permissive will. and Everybody likes the permissive will. Like, you know, God knows my heart. I'm going to go here and... You keep that up. Keep that up. Hmm? I, don't, I don't like the permissive will. I don't. Because people take advantage of that. You know, listen, I'm going to say it like this. God is not stupid. You are. If you're going to play around like that and think, oh, I'm going to be until uh, I'm ready, listen. I won't say that. I was going to say God doesn't want to take sloppy seconds, but I won't say that. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord said, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but to all to come to repentance. Uh, patient. See, God's perfect will supersedes his permissive will. Hmm? And God can even use our sins to accomplish his purpose. Ain't that amazing? 
I don't, you know, I don't know about you. I don't want God to use my sins to do his will. I want him to use, I want God to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not, get away from me, you wicked servant. I never knew you. But God, I preached. I played music. I, I, I did all these things for you, God. I did them for you. And he says, I never knew you. You were a fake and a fraud and a full-time broad. I didn't know. Who are you talking about? Hmm? See, Jesus is calling us to reevaluate how we are spending our time, our lives, and our careers. Huh? See, is Jesus challenging us to break down what we do for a living and what we do to serve God? Is he crying for us to use our time, talents, and treasure for more than business building and wealth creation? See, we can certainly serve God anywhere, but to live in the overflow, one must find the middle of God's will and submit. The, the, the overflow is not on the fringes. You, you, know, you know, I, I always share this. You know. my, my, my brother's a trip. I love my, my brothers, my family. But, you know, you don't tell them, I want to learn how to ride a bike or I want to swim. You know, because you know how you, you, like Logan High School, we had, we had a small pool. Now they have a big fancy pool. We had old ghettos pool, right? And so when I was little, right, we didn't know how to swim. So we'd go from corner to corner. You know how we did it in the corners? You get in the corner and you, and you jump across. <laughs> I'm swimming. Right? You think you're swimming, and you, you're in the corner, and you go to the next corner, ready, one, and you jump, and you, grow, you, go, you go ledge to ledge. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, you, you know, and I'm saying, I'm swimming. My brother's saying, hey, go, Ricky, I'm swimming. You're swimming? You can swim? Yeah, I can swim. Oh, good. Let me see. Threw me out in the middle of the pool. Swim, brother. See, Christians like going edge to edge. Oh, how sweet. Look cute. Look at swimming. We're getting wet. Splash, splash. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm your older brother. I'm going to grab you, throw you in the middle of the pool, make you swim. That's where the miracles of God. Pastor, see what I want to talk about. It's in the deep where you see the wonder work of the Lord. Not on the edge. You don't see nothing on the edge of the. You got to get in there. Anybody ready to get in there? So you have to discover the power of submitting to God's will because that's a good thing. Huh? Power. Scripture identifies many commands and directives about how we have power when we submit to his will. And he tells us in many unconventional ways. It's not just simple things, all right? The miraculous events, the, the splitting of the Red Sea, that's heavy, right? Gideon's fleece, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, delivering a drug addict. Hello, somebody. He'll, he'll explain and he'll show you his will and he'll confirm it by miracles. He does it by visions and dreams. We have our vision, amen. Abraham had a vision. Joseph had a vision. Peter received a vision. And understand this, when Joseph got a vision, you know what it got him? It got him prison time. He got a number he had to kill. But God, how can this be in your will? The police are after me, the popo. Hmm? Another time you get... Your, your, your God's will for your life is a direct revelation from God or leadership. And really, most of the time, when it's done properly, it's through leadership. Because everybody, this is, this is a misconception of people. Well, it's just me and God. God. And, and most people wouldn't understand God's word from Ronald McDonald. That's a fact. They, they, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like this. I'm not a mechanic. The only thing I like about cars, when I have a car, is I like the key to go in and start. Right? So if my car breaks down, I take it to who? A mechanic. And, then, uh, and I'm not dumb. I say, here's a mechanic. You fix it. 
And what do I do? We all do this, right? We go home. They call us. They, they cheat us. Oh, we found another problem. And they just rack up the bill. And what do we do? Because we don't know. We just keep paying them. Oh, man, the guy got my car now. Right? But if we have a good mechanic. We trust the mechanic. We don't tell the mechanic what to do. Because that's not our expertise. But it seems like in church, everybody comes in church, and they want to tell the people who've been here the longest how to do it. And what all they've done is read a, read a book. I read a book. John Bevere says, I don't care what John Bevere said. I'm going to slap you right now. <laughs> and they come with all this stuff, try to tell you how to do things. I go, look, get in the boat. Jump in the water. Swallow a little bit. huh? Drown a little bit. Get, get some suffering. Pay a price a little bit. And then come talk to me. All this other stuff that you're coming, it's just all book knowledge. Yeah, that, that doesn't matter. When somebody's demon-possessed, John Bevere and all his friends ain't going to help you. What? You'll be like the son of Sceva when they try to cast out a demon. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But who are you? You're just playing side to side in the swimming pool. Let's get busy. Jump in the pool. Take a punch. I like Muhammad Ali. They say he was a great fighter. The best thing about Muhammad Ali, he had a chin. He couldn't knock that brother out. Hit him with a sledgehammer. He couldn't, oh, a piece of paper. Somebody hit him with a piece of paper. I mean, he was a bad dude. And we need more people with good chins to take a punch. Because I, I, I get discouraged sometimes. You know, you get those guys coming in. The, I want to serve God. And they're big and bad. You know, big buff coming in. You know, you know how they say it? And that's the women, right? They come in all like this. Right? And the first little trial, oh, I stubbed my toe. I'm not going to church. I don't feel good. I'm going through it. My goodness, when you're going through it, you're supposed to be in church. Huh? They come with all this mess. Are you kidding me? No. Stick around a while. Let me see you get a fat lip. Let me see the devil slap you a little bit and then come and tell me what you think you know. I don't mean, that doesn't happen at the heart because you guys have a heart. <laughs> the heart is desperately wicked. Let me move on. Let me go. <laughs> See, God spoke directly to the prophets who in turn gave the message to the people. Huh? God gave me revelation through Pastor Steve. Right? I didn't know anything about this. I, you know, if I were like, that's a pretty good idea, man, reaching the lost, you know, treasure out dark, that's a good one. But it wasn't my idea. I didn't come up with it. It was given to me. I just repeat what I heard. I bit into it. I believe it. I like to say I was, I was naive enough to believe enough. Hmm? To seeking God's will. I think the, the most important thing that I, I learned was you have to be willing to sacrifice. Pastor Steve taught me this very early. In my, he, you know, I had the pleasure of being there real intimate with Pastor Steve in the beginning. I mean, I've seen stuff, good stuff. man. like, wow, check it out. But one thing I know Pastor Steve loved in his guys, he loved their ability to suffer. The number one attribute, not all the preaching, we don't care about preaching and all the, no, no. Can the brother suffer? Why? Because he understood what it took to lead people in, in ministry. And most people don't like to suffer. That's not good news, huh? Gabriel's oh man, I can't feel good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hey, when, he, he calls me up. He always calls me up. 
He didn't call me up very often. When he called me up, I got nervous. He called me, Al, yeah, what's up, Pastor? We need, I need you to play a couple songs. Okay, where? Uh, right, uh, tomorrow. I go, okay, where you at? San Diego. <laughs> like California, San Diego? Is there a street in Hayward called San Diego somewhere? I hope. He goes, no, San Diego. Okay. Okay. So I call up Bob and Dominic. I go, hey, Pastor, just call me. What's up? Hey, we got to go to San Diego. San Diego, when? Now. What do you mean now? He wants us to be there tomorrow to play a couple of songs. No, he didn't tell us how many songs. I want the band here to play. Gets worse because I didn't know. And they go, okay. And Pastor Steve said. We were like, if Pastor Steve said, we did. Didn't matter. Just, and that, that's just the way it was. And I, I, I don't say that. I say I'm proud that we were like that. That's what we did. We were under order. We were soldiers under order. Pastor Steve was our commanding officer. He said, let's go. Let's go. Okay. So he calls me up. I tell Dominic. I tell I call Bob. Bob gets, we get everybody together. And we roll to San Diego all night long. We picked up Javi, the timbalero, on the way because we needed, hey, got a timbalero, look at Javi. We picked him up. And he lived on Modesto. So we drove. We got him on Modesto. We went to San Diego. And we, we get there. Driving all night long, and we see him. Hey, Pastor, we're here. Oh, you made it just on time, right? Set up right here. We set up. He would leave the big stuff. Why? Just leave the big stuff. But they got stuff. Okay, cool. So we, we set up, got our guitar. We're getting ready. So what do you want to do? He would do these two songs. We did these two songs. After we did the songs, he said, like, okay, now go back home. I go, excuse me? Go back home. I go, right now? Right now? Why? He goes, because you got to be at church tomorrow morning for worship. <laughs> so I go, hey, bro, we got to pack our bag. Why do we want to pack our bag? We got to go back. Back when? Right now. Right now. Right now? Yeah, we had to set up the equipment that we unloaded was the, work, was the equipment for the church. So we had to drive all the way back all night long. So I'm driving, we come in early in the morning, like 8 in the morning, we unloaded the equipment, we had to set up all the equipment, get ready for church service. I call my wife, Deborah, I just made it in town, bring me a suit. I'm falling asleep right now. <laughs> and I fell asleep right on the altar, all of us, the whole band. My wife brings a suit, I go to, I go to the, 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 the restroom, you know, doing one of those dope fiend showers. Went out and did worship. Huh? And Pastor Steve loved men who could pay a price. Hmm? And see, being in God's will is the, that's what it is. See, salvation is free, but ministry costs. So, how does God lead us in the process of seeking His will? Of course, we have the Bible, the Holy Spirit, that urgency brought on us by the hound dog of heaven, wise counselors, people who have, have a long-standing track record. And then we have it confirmed by inner peace. See, people have it backwards. Well, I don't know if it's God because I don't have the inner peace. No, 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 no. You, you never get the inner peace before you do it. You only get the inner peace while you're doing it. So people, why am I waiting? doesn't feel right. Good. Are you uncomfortable? Yeah, I'm uncomfortable. Good. Huh? But once you make the step, then the peace comes. See, people nowadays want the peace before they make the step. I, well, I just don't feel no peace, Pastor. This doesn't feel right. 
right? I, I need, I, I'm looking for confirmation. Where are you looking? I'm looking for anybody who will tell me something different than what you're telling me right now. Hmm? So you have to come to this, and I know I'm going to close with this, I think. Yeah, I only got one more page, but I have to close. You have to come to a point where you have a crisis of belief. A crisis. I know, you know what a crisis is? The Bible, Holy Spirit, wise counselor, they assist you to get you to your crisis of belief. A point of choice where faith and action join. Faith and action must combine in order for God's will in our life to become a reality. Let me put it like this. See, God will often ask you to do what seems impossible. For you to move beyond your abilities and just trust him. Unless you get to that point, then you've never really stepped into his will. Every, what you've done to this point is in preparation for that. Everything we've done is very important. The training, the services, all everything, the worshiping. Why? Because this is to encourage you and prepare you because there has to come a point in your life when nothing's going to work. And if God does not intervene, you'll die or you'll fail. That is a trippy place to be. Why? Because even though you've done it once, it doesn't get any easier the next time. You just know you're going to get through it. Hmm? So we, we, we get, we get rock, rock and sock and robot in Colorado Springs. Right? It's nonstop. It's been nonstop. You know, I'm sick. I get raised out of the bed. Have a drain. I said, God, I'm doing good. Man, I'm great. But it wasn't over. It was just the beginning. Because they still didn't know what was wrong with me. They didn't know why I got the cyst. We know now. My wife said, don't give you too much detail. There's too much detail. So I won't give you too much detail. Suffice it to say that I had four major surgeries. The last one had 43 stitches from here to here. No, the second to last one. Then the last one was 14 stitches. So they, I was cut up pretty good. And it took a point where the doctor says, I'm in the house, I go to the house because I'm, I'm sick. After about two years, after I got that first episode where God said I'm not going to die. So I'm in real pain. We're talking about a crisis of belief. I'm in excruciating pain. Night after night. And so they didn't know what was wrong with me. They thought I had cancer. They did every test. No cancer. They, they tested my liver. They test, I mean, I had so many tests. I th good thing that me and my wife are beyond having children. Because I think if I had children now, they would come out glowing with all the radiation. You know what I mean? Boom, boom, boom. Because I've had so much, I mean, so many things. We don't know what would come lizards. I don't know. But because I was, I'm in test after test after test after test. So I go on this one time. I'm in pain. And I've never had an episode happen while I was in the doctor's office. But it happened. I'm, I turned yellow. Literally as yellow as a post-it note. My eyes were yellow, jaundice. The, the doctors had, had, had given me hepatitis C, medically induced. It's a different type of hepatitis, but it was medically induced from the medicine they were giving me. So they think I'm dying. They're doing these tests. I go into the, that, that machine. They go, what do they call that? 
yeah, CAT scan. I go in there, and while I'm in there, I have an episode, the pain. So they pull me out. I go into the waiting room, and he comes to me, Mr. Loma, you need to go to emergency right now. I go, why? He goes, because we found a ball that size inside your, your gut. We have to, you have cancer. We have to remove it right now. I said, whoa. And I had just talked to my gastrointestinal doctor, and he said, no cancer. So I'm, okay. Fortunately, my, that doctor was in the hospital. I call him, hey, Dr. Kavanaugh, they're, they're taking me to surgery. He goes, what do you mean they're taking you to surgery? They said I have cancer. He goes, you don't have cancer? I go, hey, you need to tell this dude. He goes, I'm in the fourth, no, I'm in the fifth floor because that's where the gastrointestinal, I'm in the fifth floor, I'll be right there. So he comes down from the fifth floor, comes to the emergency, he says, what's happening now? I go, well, I told him the story. He goes, no way, but he talks to a radiologist, he can't have cancer. There's something in there. Al, how do you feel? I go, I feel okay right now. He goes, you want to go home? Yeah, I want to go home. He goes, okay, go ahead, I'm going to release you. He let me go home. He goes, I'm taking your pictures, I'm taking them to a surgeon. Surgeon calls the next day, says, I want you to come in. We found the problem. They found an area in here where my intestines was two feet too long. And it gets more gross, but I won't get in there because my wife said, don't do that. So they removed it. Huh? They removed it. So I'm going under the knife, and I'm saying, God, why are you doing this? Now, all this time, I'm still trying to pastor a church. In and out, I, in and out of the hospital, I probably in and out of the hospital probably 20 times in three years. In and out and in and out and in and out. And so people were th- were thought I was going to die. They actually thought I was going to give up the ministry. And when that, when that happens, what happens normally to a church? And so the church looked much like me, sick. So I'm saying, God, what are you doing to me? And all he keeps saying is, don't give up in well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Now, listen, this will not happen to all of you. Don't get afraid. But there is going to come a point in time where your faith, your crisis of belief is going to come to a point where you're going to say, I can't do it no more, God. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. How can I get out of this? Oh, man, I thought about that so much. How can I get out of this? And every time I wanted to get away, trying to figure out a way, there was no way out. I was like... I understand what Paul says. I've been made captive by that which I try to take captive. Following God's will. They do the operation instantly. I knew they got it. Instantly. I had big scars. I was in pain, but I go, Debbie, they got it. He goes, how do you know? I go, I feel great. I haven't felt this good since I was a kid. I had a 43-inch scar, but I feel great. So now the process begins. So I get out of the hospital, June. I couldn't walk from here to that, to that um, sound booth without help. Right? It's a little over a year. And I, I, I get, I'm like a, you know, I get, I get locked. I get locked. I said, I'm going to get this. I have to rebuild me. And rebuild the church at the same time. And same time, and that's what I've been doing. And since, since that time, I was 130 pounds, June 4th. And I started walking to the back of my driveway and back. After a week, I walked around the corner and back. Right? Right now, I am dri- I'm riding my bike over 30 miles. I'm running 5Ks. I am doing, I'm, I am in better shape now. 
than I was when I was a kid. Right? And God says, okay, now you're healed. Now watch what the church is going to do next. See, there has to be a crisis of belief. There was a man by the name of Samuel Chan. If you ever have a chance, read him. Go on the internet. And he says this, and I'm going to end with this. He says that he has done a study of every major business, but he's talking about ministry now, but every mega church. And he said he noticed one thing about every large ministry that's accomplishing great goals in the world. There's one thing in common. It's not the music, although we need good music. It's not the preaching. It's not the programs. The one thing that's in common from er for every ministry is the leadership's ability, or he called it the leadership's pain threshold. And the more pain they're able to withstand, the larger the ministry. That is the only thing they have in common. So we have to understand this. Following God's will of time is going to test you, test you. But Paul says the sufferings that we have in this world do not compare to what we're going to experience with God. There's no comparisons. So there's a process. You're going to have to pay a price. If we're going to build a church, if you're going to fill this place, it's not going to come easy. You think the devil is going to lay down? We've been trying to hit this city and break it open and make a mega church here for 30 plus years. You think it's going to be easy? The devil almost took this church out. You think he, he, he what? And I look at that like, wait a minute, man, because when I left, Pastor Steve had this place popping. 600 people. It was popping. It was rocking. And then some people get out in the, in the carnal. They, they look at the, remember, they look horizontally. And they go, well, there must be something wrong in the church. No, maybe there's something right in the church. And people have to learn how to pay a price and stick it out. Because the more pain you can stand, the greater your ministry will become. Uh, I, I've, man, I've seen it. I've been here through the good, the bad, the ugly. Wah, wah, wah. Huh? And I'm still here. Why? Because I believe in this. But I am, I am grateful. I will, I will be eternally grateful for his dad coming to my no good neighborhood and preaching the gospel to me. I'll be eternally grateful for his dad pulling me under his wings and saying, I'm going to teach you the things of God. I will be eternally grateful for him coming to me and saying, Pastor, you want to be a, you, Al, you want to be my assistant pastor? I will be eternally grateful for him saying, even though you're a knucklehead, you're my knucklehead. And so that's all that matters. That's all that matters, man. That's why I need you to, you got to stick it out. You got to fight the fight. You got to build this church, man. This is my, this is my church. You got to build it. You got to build it. That's why I'm excited about this. Huh? This is home. This is home. Not Hayward South. Hayward. That's an inside little thing right there. Amen. I'm going to pray. I promise the Lord this. When he healed me, I have the gift of healing. And I learned something. The gift of healing doesn't mean you pray for people and they get healed. The gift of healing means you've been healed. 
I have the gift of healing. God took me out of my deathbed. And because I have that gift of healing, the Bible says, freely you have received, freely you give. So if there's anybody here today that you need a healing, then you need to come first. I'm going to pray for healings. Come on. She already knew. Anybody else? You need healings. God is going to heal you tonight. If he can heal me, and believe me, I was in bad shape. He's going to touch you. So I'm going to ask the worship team just to sing a song, and you're going to just begin to worship him and praise his name.